Hi everyone, welcome to Into the Archives. While our main sermon podcast, uh, Words from the Wildwood, can be found on Sunday mornings, this is more of a retrospective, a looking back at where I have been, where I preached, what I've had the opportunity to do, and the observations I've made along the way. I hope that you can look back with me at many of these sermons that have come. Some may sound a little dated, but you might be impressed to hear things that were going on then that are still going on today. I hope you enjoy this offering from the archives. We've been talking about the book of Deuteronomy. We've been talking about all these things and all these facets of people who encounter the power of God. Now, what have we talked about? We've talked about those who encounter the power of God and they are filled with fear. We encountered last week those who are filled with jealousy and envy because somebody has something they want. What did I tell y'all? God provides, so don't steal. So here's what we're talking about. Fear, envy, jealousy. Tonight, I want to talk about something that has nothing to do with anybody in this room. Because I know this is nobody here. Nobody here is pig-headed. Amen? At least y'all are honest. I like that. All right, tonight, the cost of a stubborn spirit. That's what I want to talk about. My father always said I was pig-headed. I never understood that till I grew up. And he was right. It is tough to be a southern man because to be southern and to be a man means to be stubborn, pig-headed, obstinate. You never listen to anybody, especially when you should. Amen? Amen. That's what it is to be a man. So tonight... The cost of a stubborn spirit. You see, some fights you just can't win. Some fights you just cannot win. But do you know when it is time to stand and when it's time to give way? Do you know in your life, ladies and gentlemen, when it is time to stand up and fight and when God is doing something and you need to give way to his perfect will? Do you know that? Because if you don't, I hope that tonight's visit to the scriptures will help you understand that. Tonight. Book of Deuteronomy, no surprise there. That's where we started. That's where we're going to be for a long time yet to come. Deuteronomy, a very long book. Lots of great stuff in there, great teachings. And we're going to track them all down. Amen, church? Deuteronomy 2, 24 through 25 is where we start tonight. One thing you have to understand about the cost of a stubborn spirit. A stubborn spirit is filled with fear. Amen? A stubborn spirit is often fueled by a fearful spirit. Let's take a look at it. Deuteronomy 2, 24 and 25 begins. Rise up, set out on your journey, and go over the valley of the Arnon. Behold, I have given into your hand Sihon the Amorite, king of Heshbon and his land. Begin to take possession and contend with him in battle. This day I will begin to put the dread and the fear of you on the peoples who were under the whole heaven, who shall hear the report of you and shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. Amen. Wouldn't you love it have to be said of you, That when you come, all of those who are opposed to God, all those who fight the word, all those who are anti-Christ, anti-Christian, that they all fear you. That they walk in terror of your coming. Wouldn't you love that? I would just love that. It's like when Clemens would rise into a town. You know, everybody gets afraid when they see him sitting on the horse. He doesn't do anything. He's got this little cigar stuck in his face. And he just has that evil look on his face. Doesn't shave. But everybody's afraid when they see him. That's how the demons should be. When you walk into a place, into a church, into a workplace, into a hospital, they should be afraid. Oh no, here comes God's top gun. Here comes God's toughest man or woman. That's how it should be. Take a look at it tonight. 
1. Deuteronomy 2, 24. Rise up, set out on your journey, and go over the valley of the Arnon. Behold, I have given into your hand Sihon the Amorite, king of Heshbon, and his land. Begin to take possession and contend with him in battle. Now, what does that sound like to you? It sounds like an order to me. Is God saying, you know what? If you want to there, Steve, you can stand up for my name. And you know, you know what, George, if you want to, you can mention me once in a while. Is that what God says about us? I think it says, you shall, imperative, be my witness. You will speak up for me. You will testify about me. Here he said, rise up. The word rise up means to stir up or rouse up as unto battle. Now, if you get up on Sunday morning, do you crawl out of bed tired, defeated, broken, worn out? Oh, I gotta go to church. I don't wanna go to church. Is that how you are? Or do you rouse up? Does your spirit rise up within you with passion and intensity? And you go, yes, like David. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Is that you? Do you rouse up your spirit? He says, Rise up, set out. Then he says this, begin to take possession and contend with him in battle. This is interesting. I looked through four commentaries, four commentaries on the book of Deuteronomy. Not one of them spoke to this verse. Not one of them. I had to go back and look and actually study the words to figure out what was being said here. Because it's just the Lord would not let me away from this. Begin to take possession. Now the word begins means to assault, as with an opening wedge, or to wound. So it says, rise up, wound the enemy, or assault the enemy, as with an opening wedge. An opening wedge was a giant piece of wood, uh, a giant log, they would place it against the gates and they would smash it, and it would smash open the gates. It wasn't a gentle going in. It wasn't a peaceful stroll. It wasn't a going out for a nice walk. This was an assault. This was a military assault. This says, rise up as an angry man and charge into the land. Go forward and take it with intensity and with power. See, most believers live their lives like whipped dogs. They are cowering. They are quiet. They want to sneak past the enemy and have nobody see them. That's what I loved about the Celts. The Celts were maniacs. They were insane. They would paint their bodies, oftentimes dark blue, with streaks of gray, using natural materials. They would come out and they would scream and howl at their enemies at the top of their lungs, oftentimes only wearing a loincloth because they wanted to intimidate the enemy with their very presence. Do you think Satan's intimidated when he sees you? Does Satan cower, Dave, when he sees you? He should. He should be afraid of us. He should be in fear. You know, Satan's going to say, oh no, he's going to speak in Jesus' name. That's it. Satan should be fearful that when we rise up to our full stature as believers, we terrify the very forces of hell. But you know, for most Christians, when they walk out the door, Satan doesn't even pay attention. You know why? Because he already knows they're not going to do anything. They have camouflaged their bodies to blend into the world so they don't cause any fuss. They have painted themselves to look like the world so they draw no attention to themselves. As believers, we should be roused up, screaming, painted like the Celts to charge forward into battle. That's what it says. Contend to fight forcibly with him in battle. Don't think that you're just going to walk through. Go there braced for warfare. We did, what, eight weeks on spiritual warfare? Are we all preparing our minds, our hearts, our lives, our, our finances? Are we preparing ourselves for battle? Or are we just trying to get through the day, get through this life, and enjoy the things that we have? 
I think most people in America today who call themselves Christians or church members are not ready for war. They're not dressed for war. They're not going out to assault the enemy. They're just trying to get by. But take a look at it. Here's the next verse. This day I will begin to put the dread and the fear of you on the peoples who are under the whole heavens. They shall hear the report of you and shall tremble and be in anguish, a heart cry because of you. Now we normally don't want people to fear us, amen? But you know what? Sinners, those who are opposed to God, those who are walking in a sinful way, they should feel a pain of agony, not because we are judgmental and condemning, but because when they look at us, they see the image of Jesus Christ, and your very presence makes them feel ashamed. Not because you want to shame them, but because they see in you holiness and righteousness, and it makes them feel guilty. The Holy Spirit leaps all over them and makes them feel bad. God put the fear of Israel into the people of Sihon, king of Heshbon. Their hearts were already quaking before they got there because they had heard about a people that God had set free. A people that now had come out of the desert and were going to take what was theirs. And they were fearful it was theirs too. Here's what it was. He says, I will begin to put the dread in them. Dread means great alarm. What alarms you? What scares you? What terrifies you? Are you most afraid of cancer? Are you most afraid of the bill collector? Are you most afraid of your children's report card? <laughs> I'm not afraid of that at all. Okay, are you most afraid of your wife's temper? <laughs> Nobody says nothing. I like that one. What are you most afraid of? You should not be afraid of anything. Because what can Satan do to you to stop you? Nothing. What can Satan do to hinder the work of God? Nothing. If you're guarding the gates, if you're guarding your heart, if you are aggressively going out to seek and save that which is lost, you have nothing to be afraid of because nothing will touch you that God does not allow into your life for your discipline, for your building up, for your discipling and to make you into the implement that he will use to perfect his will. Those missionaries who have gone overseas, who have died in foreign lands, who have been tortured, mutilated, murdered, they went there unafraid of death because if they died, it was God's will and that was okay with them. It was okay for them to die because God would, through their death, bring glory to his name. That's the way it should be. You see, when we are filled with fear, we become stubborn. No, Lord, I don't want to do that. Lord, I can't sacrifice my home. Lord, I can't sacrifice my job, my security. We had a speaker here. You might remember him. Did something like 15 and a half years in the Air Force. And then what did he do? He quit. He took the out. He got out. No retirement. No benefits. Nothing. Why did he leave at 15 and a half years? Because God said, I want you in the ministry. And he did not hold his military pension as something greater than God's perfect will. Here's the thing. That's a rare man. That's a rare man who will trust in God, not trust in his retirement or his pension or something else. See, the great thing about being a pastor, we have no pension. We have no retirement. We got nothing except the grace of God. And I'll take that. I'll take the grace of God over that any time. So, the cost of a stubborn spirit is a life filled with fear. But let's press on. Deuteronomy 2, 26-29. A stubborn spirit resists reason. Now this is important because if you're going to read the Word of God, you have to understand if you have within you a stubborn spirit, even the Word of God will seem like nonsense to you because a stubborn spirit resists reason. 
Because it says, So I sent messengers from the wilderness of Kidamoth to Sihon, the king of Heshbon, with the words of peace, saying, Let me pass through your land. I will go only by the road. I will turn aside neither to the right nor to the left. You will sell me food for money that I may eat and give me water for money that I may drink. Only let me pass through on foot. As the sons of Esau who live in Seir and the Moabites who live in Ar did for me until I go over the Jordan into the land that Yahweh our God is giving to us. Man, you talk about a completely reasonable request. Completely reasonable. Look at this. 1 verse 27. Let me pass through your land. I will go only by the road. What's he talking about? What road? That road is found in Numbers 21, 22. In fact, the whole story of Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Agabashan is found in Numbers 21. This is what it says right here. Numbers 21, 22. Let me pass through your land. We will not turn aside into field or vineyard. Important. Those are the two things you seize when you steal somebody's land. The fields with the food, the vineyard with the wine. Very important. We will not drink the water of a well. We will go by the king's highway until we have passed through your territory. That's what he said word for word. Now here's the thing. The king's highway was how everybody passed. What's on the king's highway? Defended positions. What's the purpose of defended positions? It was to protect travelers, but also to keep a check on them. If you're on the king's highway, they know where you are every second of the day. If you leave the king's highway, it's because you're going to go into a field, into a vineyard, or take water from a well. But he says, hey, you will sell me food. I'll buy the food from you. That can be found on the king's highway. I will buy water from you. That's found on the king's highway too. That gives them a perfect way to check. But notice he says this. He says this, 28. You shall sell me food for money that I may eat and give me water for money that I may drink. Only let me pass through on foot. They're not even wanting to bring chariots. They're not wanting to bring implements of war. They're not wanting to bring horses and cavalry. They're just going to walk through the land. It is simply a perfect request. But now take a look at this. Verse 29. As the sons of Esau who live in Seir and the Moabites who live in Ar did for me. What's he giving them? A point of reference. He says, we have been through these two other countries. We made them the same promise we made you. Look, we honored our request with them. Why would we break it now with you? We're giving you the proof that we're here for no intention other than to go to the place we're going. Because he says this, until I go over the Jordan, the Jordan is outside their land. Until I go over the Jordan into the land that the Lord our God is giving to us. Right there gives Sihon, king of Heshbon, the reason why they're passing through. They're passing through the only natural way to get to what belongs to them. If you're Sihon, king of Heshbon, do you want to fight? Do you want to get into a needless scrap? Especially when these people are rumored to be very powerful. Everybody's already afraid of them. And where are they going? They're going to tackle the Canaanites, the Canaanite kingdom. Let them go fight. The Canaanites were bigger and better defended than Sihon was. Oh, if they want to fight, let them go fight over there. It was unreasonable for them to stop them. Because one, he says, I will go by the road. You can watch me. Hey, I've got money. I'll pay for the food. I'll pay for the water. I won't turn off of your protective way. Just let me walk through. 
How much more reasonable is that? And yet we plead with the world and we say, consider the claims of Jesus Christ. There were so many prophecies about when he was born, where he was born, how he was born, what he would do, what he would speak, what day he would enter Jerusalem. Every prophecy made 400 years before the coming of the Messiah. Yet take your most ardent skeptic. Take your most ardent skeptic, the ones that go to church every Sunday, the ones that listen to the pastor who never listen. Take the ones who hard-headedly sit there and refuse to hear the word of God. And I've talked to people after the service and they go, well, pastor, you don't really expect me to believe that the Ten Commandments still have meaning. Pastor, you can't really tell me that I can't have sex before marriage. Pastor, you can't really tell me that I have to give God part of what's mine. I mean, I earned that. That's mine. It belongs to me. You can't tell me that God is sovereign. It's my free will. And I keep thinking, what part of anything in the Word of God have they never read? The truth is they've read it, but they refuse to submit to the reason of it because their heart is set against God. It is stubbornly set against the will of Almighty God. No matter how reasonable you apply the Word of God, no matter how reasonable your request, no matter how much you beg them, just consider Christ. Just consider the Word. Just look at the proof. They won't look. They won't listen because they don't want to know. They only want to know what they know, which is what they know. You know what I mean? You know the people I'm talking about. The stubborn heart won't even listen. Here's a danger to that. There's a great danger to hardening your heart against the pleas that God makes for you to listen. Even among believers, there are some believers who have set their heart against God. Yes, they're saved. Yes, they're going to heaven. Yes, they believe Jesus is the Son of God. Yes, they believe He was born of a virgin. Yes, they believe He died and rose again. Yes, they believe He's going to come back someday in the sweet by and by, but they are not going to live for Him because it's my life and I'm going to do what I want to do. Even though they're saved, they are so stubborn. And people like that live their life eternally at war with God. Let me ask you a question, church. In a war of attrition, who wins? The man with one soldier or the man with 10 million soldiers? Who wins the war of attrition? The guy with 10 million soldiers. How many angels in heaven praise the name of Yahweh? That many and more. If you're fighting God, sweetheart, I love you, but you're going to lose. And you're going to lose every day that you fight. And the more you fight, the more you're going to lose. And the more he's going to take away from you. Because sooner or later, he is going to break you to your knees and make you say, Jesus Christ is Lord. And I was wrong to fight him. That's how Sihon was. He heard the most reasonable request in the world. He had seen proof they had done it. But yet, he would not listen. And that's the problem with the stubborn heart. The cost of a stubborn heart is you become unreasonable. You become unlistening, unfeeling, unthinking to anything that God does for you. You become like Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, the king of the world, who was humbled by the God of slaves. That's what happens to you when you fight God. Let's finish this up tonight. Deuteronomy 2, 30 through 37. The last thing you have to know about a stubborn spirit, a stubborn heart is this. A stubborn spirit will lead to defeat. Whatever you're doing in your life, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to be, if you are stubbornly opposed to God's will for your life, you will lose. You will fail at everything you do. And even if you succeed financially and monetarily, you will fail because you will not have a minute's peace until the day you die and fall before a holy God with nothing in your hands but wood, hay, and stubble. And you have to admit that you were saved by the grace of God and you have nothing to give your Savior. That's the truth of it. Take a look at this tonight. 
30 through 37. But Sihon, the king of Heshbon, would not let us pass by him. For Yahweh your God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate that he might give him into your hands as he is this day. And Yahweh said to me, Behold, I have begun to give Sihon and his land over to you. Begin to take possession that you may occupy his land. Then Sihon came out against us, he and all his people, to battle at Jahaz. And Yahweh our God gave him over to us, and we defeated him and his sons and all his people. And we captured all his cities at that time and devoted to destruction every city, man, woman, and children. We left no survivors. Only the livestock we took as spoil for ourselves with the plunder of the cities that we captured. From Aor, which is on the edge of the valley of Arnon, and from the city that is in the valley as far as Gilead, there was not a city too high for us. For Yahweh our God gave all into our hands. Only to the land of the sons of Ammon you did not draw near. That is, to all the banks of the river Jabbok and the cities of the hill country, whatever Yahweh our God has. Has forbidden us. That last verse is very important. Mark it, circle it. We're going to finish up with it tonight. But take a look at this. Verse 30. For Yahweh your God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate that he might give him into your hands as he is this day. Sihon rebelled against God. Sihon rebelled. Why did he do that? Why was he so arrogant? Why was he so stupid to fight the people of the Holy God? I'll tell you why. If you go over to Numbers 21 verse 29, it has a special name for these people. These people who followed Sihon, the king of Heshbon. He calls them the people of Chemosh. Chemosh was a false god, a pagan god, a god who had crept into their land and they were worshiping this god, this hunk of wood, this atrocity was their god and they thought that their god would protect them and their god would triumph even though they heard about a living god, a god of fire and a god of cloud, a god who could part waters, a god who could destroy the pharaoh of Egypt. Yet they turned to their wood and prayed to their god and their god could not save them. Here's the thing, church. A stubborn spirit is a spirit which believes in its own God. You may say, but I believe in God. What God do you believe in? How many times have you heard, well, my God would never let children die. My God would never let famine come upon the land. My God would never tolerate war. You're right. Your God would never do that because you ain't got a God. You've got a figment of your imagination. If you've never read the word of God, then you have no idea who this God is. I was talking to a brother today and we were talking. One of the biggest problems in the church of America today is we don't know who God is. We got the fluffy bunny foo-foo Jesus that goes through the woods, hopping along, passing out blessings. We got the grandfather God on his rocking chair with his big beard, throwing out candy to his children. Because as Oprah says, we're all his children children. Where does it say that in the Word of God? Can someone please find that for me? Because I can't find it anywhere. Okay, the whole thing is this. We don't know that God is a God of lightning, thunder, fire, righteousness, holiness, grace, mercy, tenderness, love, salvation, and eternal vengeance against those who reject the name of his son, Jesus Christ. No Jesus, no salvation. I don't care if you're a good Muslim. I don't care if you're a good Buddhist. I don't care if you're a good Hindu. There's lots of good people going to hell because goodness don't get you to heaven. Only the name, the salvation, the blood of Jesus Christ affects eternity. 
And I'm sorry, it says in Romans, every man has seen God's power so displayed that nobody, not in America, not in Canada, not even the Mexicans, not even the Koreans, not even the Vietnamese, not even the Russians, heck, not even the French can claim stupidity because God has so revealed himself Every man, woman, and child is guilty before a holy God until Christ vindicates them by his blood. Amen? That's what the word says. That's the God of the Bible. If that ain't your God, sweetheart, you ain't saved. You're going to hell. And we need to talk before you get out of here tonight. Because if you have this God of fluffy bunnies, you ain't going to heaven. You ain't going to make it. If that's who you're trusting in, because that ain't a real God. That's just a figment of your Saturday morning cartoon imagination. We need to deal with that one a little bit later. Take a look at this. He hardened his heart, hardened his spirit, and made his heart obstinate. We know this. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. It says after the first plague, he hardened his own heart. Second plague, hardened his own heart. Third plague, sooner or later, what you start, God will finish. You harden your heart enough times, honey, God will lock the door and not come knocking anymore. There's a point at which you harden yourself to a holy God and he won't come knocking anymore. Sihon knew there was a God over Israel. He'd been out there for 40 years. He had shown his grace and mercy, his miracles in the desert. That's why his people were afraid. Yet he had so stubbornly, obstinately hardened his heart against the one true God of heaven that God went ahead and finished it so that God's glory might be seen as it was seen in the destruction of Pharaoh under the Red Sea. Remember, Pharaoh rode into the Red Sea at the head of his army. He died in the waters with his men. Even though Yul Brenner escaped in the movie, the real Pharaoh didn't. Okay, the real Pharaoh went down with the troops. That's how it happens. Look at this one, verse 31. Behold, I have begun to give Sihon and his land over to you. Begin to take possession. Get to it. Go out there. What is keeping you from living this victorious Christian life of bearing a witness for who Jesus Christ is? What hinders you from doing the thing God saved you to do? What did God save you to do? You shall be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the earth. That means lost wages Nevada too. We have a task. It's not to build a big church. It's not to build a famous ministry. It's not to build a TV ministry. Our task is to save that which is lost. It's not to make the saved fat and comfortable and happy. We're not about building a country club or a hill spa or a cultural center. We're a church. We're a rescue center. We save the damned and the lost. That's our job. If that ain't your job, go find some other church because you ain't going to like what's coming in the future. Amen? Times they are a-changing, baby. Here we go. Go on to the next one. It says, And Yahweh our God gave him over to us, and we defeated him and his sons and all his people. Who won the victory? God. Now, what did the people of Israel have to do? They had to pick up their swords, pick up their shields, put on their armor, and go out there and fight. Some of them died. Most of them lived. They won the battle, but they had to fight it. If you want to be part of God's victory, you have to fight. Otherwise, you're nothing but a bench warmer sitting out there living off the glory of those who actually do the fighting. You can sit in church on Sunday morning, do nothing. You can take the glory for what a church does, but God is fighting the battle. Only those who get out there with him can be part of what God is doing through them. So just remember that. You're either in it or you're out. There's no in-between. No cheerleaders on God's team. We don't need cheerleaders. We need fighters. We need warriors. We need people to get into the battle. Besides, the victory's already won. All we have to do is take part. Verse 34. And we captured all his cities at that time and devoted to destruction every city, men, women, and children. We left no survivors. What does this sound like? You're going to see this again very soon. Where? City of Jericho. 
Jericho is coming. Jericho was not the first city of Ban. A ban is when something is totally sacrificed and given over to God. This is the first of many places like this. Everything there was won by God. It was devoted to God. It was given to Him. He won the victory, so they gave it all to him. Now, yes, they kept a little bit of spoils. They kept some cattle, some other things. But this city was not under the ban that Jericho was under. In Jericho, God said, burn everything to the ground, including the gold and the animals and everything else. Don't take anything. But here, they were free to take whatever they chose. And they didn't take wives. They didn't take children. They killed every living thing. Why? Because if you leave a disease alive in a body, that disease will spread. The disease of paganism in those days was so powerful. These were the people of Chemosh, even the children would have brought that disease back among them. And I'm sorry, in a fight like this, take no prisoners. Take no prisoners. We don't allow for a compromise. We don't compromise with the world. We fight for the total, complete victory of Jesus Christ. And that's how it has to be. No survivors. We make no compromises. Verse 36, from the city that is in the valley, as far as Gilead, there was not a city too high for us, for the Lord our God gave all into our hands. Here we go again. God is the victor. Do you see a pattern here? When the battle starts, God calls them to fight. When God goes before them, what happens? They win. When they're obedient, what happens? They win. The thing about this, the stubborn spirit of the people led to their downfall. If they had just given these people safe passage, God would have walked his people through and left them alive. But when you fight the people of God, you're going to lose. You understand that? When you fight what God is doing, you are going to lose. And you will lose big, and it will cost you everything. That is just the nature of things. Look at verse 37. Only to the land of the sons of Ammon you did not draw near. That is, whatever the Lord our God has forbidden us. Now we have to be careful, church. When we go out and do things for the Lord, it has to be according to the word of God, by the way God tells us to do it, in the way, in the spirit he tells us to do it. We cannot stubbornly charge out and take whatever we please. We have to look at the Word of God and do it the way God lays before us. I told you that last week. I just wanted to recap that. We must be sure that what we do is in the spirit that God gives and according to God's plan. So let's finish it up. Is your spirit stubborn? That's the question you have to answer tonight and then you're free to go. One, have you experienced defeat in your life? By this I mean in your faith life, in your walk with the Lord. Is it impossible to have a prayer in the morning? Is it impossible to do Bible study? Do you just not get it when you read it? Is it impossible for you to bear witness? Is it impossible for you to stand up and say proudly, I am a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? Remember what I said. When you say, I believe in God, you've said absolutely nothing. That means nothing in America today to say that you believe in God. Because there's too many gods out there. You are a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God and who is the Son of God according to the Holy Bible. That's who you are. That's who the world should know you as. They should see you coming and be afraid. So if there is this defeat in your life, this, this press down, this defeatedness, look for a stubborn resistance to what God's doing. Look for a stubborn spirit and you'll know what to do with it. Look at the second one. Have you refused to live how God has told you to live? Is there something God's asked you to do and you're not doing it? You're going to be defeated. You've got a stubborn spirit in there if you're not giving in to what God is doing in your life. If you're giving it to somebody else, if you're pushing it off on somebody else, that's a stubborn spirit of resisting what God's doing. God is trying to get you involved in the fight. He wants you to be part of the victory. So why are you giving the victory to somebody else? Why are you giving up your place in the fight? You should be in it. When the soldiers went to war, everyone went to war. Not just the people who look best in the uniforms or the strongest or the youngest or the bravest or whatever. Everybody went because God already won the fight. Last one. Why deny yourself victory when God offers you the victory? Who are you waiting for to lead the charge? If you know something needs to be done, get up and do it. 
If there's a ministry that needs to get started, you start it. If there's something that needs to be taught, if there's something that needs to be corrected, something that needs to be addressed, take the charge. Go forward and do it. Don't look for somebody else to do your job. Get up and do what God puts in your heart. And you will have that victory. You will be able to go to bed at night and go, I have done my duty. I have served my God. I can lay down and sleep in peace because I've done that all. And that's what we all want, right? We all want to go to bed at night victorious. We want to wake up victorious. We want to live victorious. That can only happen if our stubborn resistance to God is broken down and destroyed. Let's pray. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in today to listening to our programs. We appreciate your attention. We present this for you as a way of building up God's people, giving you hope in these dark days. They are presented to you commercial-free. We don't solicit money from any companies, Bible organizations, or churches. We put it out there because we believe wholeheartedly that the Word of God is the only hope this country or any country could have. Because we present it to you commercial free, we do ask you to search your heart. If you feel the need to support us in any way, it, it, could, be a, it could be a love offering, a gift, send me enough for a cup of coffee. I'd really appreciate it. You can send all support to Richard Stidham, S-T-I-D-H-A-M, Richard Stidham at Box 1321. Baytown, Texas, 77521. And everything you send to us will be used to keep this podcast on the air. Have a great day. God bless. And remember, keep looking up. Our salvation is drawing near.